Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act. In this week's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about stamps, Camden, and we have part one of our interview with Jonathan Jenkins from the London Air Ambulance. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of a little show known as The Kindness Project. I am joined by a man who had a little bit of a whittling habit, Russell Dames, and Charlotte, who has told last week a little bit of a whittling joke, it's Charlotte. Hello, audience. Can you tell we both record these? Yeah, we're still talking about whittling. <laughs> we're, we're, on a, we're on a whittling flow. Um, on that note, um, let's talk about uh, what something else apart from whittling. And the problem is, you know when you get a, a little subject in your head, it's really difficult to replace it with something else. So, yeah. I'm looking to... You've been talking about Whitland, and I've been thinking about those videos of people who make stamps out of rubbers. I don't know I what that is. <laughs> Have we turned this into, like, a niche interest podcast? It was always a niche interest podcast. Hold on, I'm wondering we... about the stamp rubbers. Got it. So they draw patterns on these rubbers and then they um, carve them out with like specific tools meant to make stamps and then you put ink and it's a stamp but it's That's made out of a, a rubber. Idea. So they, they get a rubber? Yeah, yeah. They carve in a pattern. Yeah, that's a neat yeah. idea. And then they use that pattern as a stamp. Yeah. I really like that. Have you tried it? So cute, they're like little hooks. So it's like, is it like rubber whittling? Oh, yeah. It's like rubber whittling, Russ. It's whittling with rubbers. Move in, Charlotte. I can't hear you properly. Hello. It's like it's like whittling with rubbers, Russ. Yeah, whittling rubber whittling. Rubbers. Yeah. Would you give that a go? Now you've gone off wood. I would. Would you? Would you, I would. Would. I'd love it if you like that. <laughs> it, it go off wood and go on the rubber. You know what I tried the other week? Making bolts out of... Out of that clear resin. Oh. You know what I've just realised, Charlotte? And Mugs is doing that pottery shop. <laughs> that was over hey. 15 days ago. No. <laughs> did, they, did they get you to get in touch? No. Right, we need to get in touch with them and work out how we're going to... When are you back in Scotland? I leave in four days. Right, well, you better get down to the shop then. Christ. We 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 went. Um, we had a date day because uh, we do that in our family. Uh, we have dad daughter, uh, as you know, Rose. I think we might have spoken yeah. about it on the podcast before. We have dad daughter date days. We do all sorts of um, uh, interesting stuff, but we hadn't had one for a while, have we? Because no. Charlotte had been away, and uh, we had a... come up to see me, and I took you to a breakfast pancakes. Yeah, I mean, when when's I mean, and we'll do that. Again, in the, in the coming year as well, we went to a retro arcade, which we always do on a date day, seemingly. This one, um, we uh, ate Italian. We walked quite a long way down Glasgow Harbour. Is it, is it a harbour? It is a harbour. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Glasgow Harbour, wasn't it? Glasgow. Um, uh, we visited the. What else did we do when we were up? Oh, we visited the car museum. Uh, so uh, all that sort of stuff. But on this particular um, date day, I said, Charlotte, right, you're organising it. She took me mug painting. That, that 
it's another thing. I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, I want to try that part where you'd see, see what it's like. Then what was that place called? It was over in... God, we made so many jokes about it, and I can't remember what it was called. It was just down the road from Cannes, so... No, it was a specific street, and we were making jokes about that. Well, it wasn't Camden, but it was. It seemed like the polish bit That'd down be the road. It would be better if it was Potter's Bar, wouldn't it? It would be better if it was yeah, Potter's Bar, was, unfortunately, unfortunately, Rose, it was Camden. But I like Camden. Camden always feels a bit gritty. Um, the bit where social pottery felt a bit posher, didn't it? Yeah. But Camden, live music, good bars. We just sat there for about an hour when we on the way back, and there was a there was a guy buttonskin who was absolutely brilliant. We were going to buckle for an hour. How long was it? Sounds like 10, 15 minutes. About 10, 15 minutes, apparently. It wasn't an hour. Thank you, fact checker. Well, um um, but yeah, but yeah, it, it was it was really it was really good, um, and um, the doing the pottery. But I literally just realised yeah. that our painted mugs that went in the kiln and are waiting for there to collect are still there. And they might not be. They might need, have gotten rid of them. You need to phone them and find out. Um, no phone. Oh, you know what? This is the other thing. You know, I I. I I am a bit guilty of this actually. I I um tend to like email or WhatsApp now and not pick up the phone. And yeah, it, I love picking up the phone. It's on rare occasions that I actually pick up the phone. I need to get better. I don't like picking up the phone. Like, yeah. I'm happy to do this. Yeah. Anyone at home can't see that I'm pointing yeah. at the laptop. Video with... call the pottery shop and find out where our mugs is. I love picking up the phone. I, I prefer to talk to, to text. How, how do you feel about video versus um, I'm, I'm the, the only people I video is, is through, through like this and and sometimes on Zoom. But only work related, not. Oh, well, no, and sometimes and if I'm calling these too early chats, call me up on it. But now the pandemic's over, by a long joke, um, uh, I'm, I'd rather go and see people, meet face to face. I don't, definitely don't agree with that. <laughs> no? I like that. Human connection, right? I don't mind. It. I don't mind seeing people face to face. I just find it awkward. You're a lot more outgoing than I am, so you enjoy all that. But I'm, I'm running out of things to say to people. I mean, like, they're with you, Charlotte, and I'm like, yeah. yeah, you two are slightly more introvert than me. Yeah, yeah you're you're far more outgoing than than I am and Charlotte. So, I mean, you are dragging the crowd and all that jazz. Next year, you are dragging yourself, not not the island celebrity jungle. I'd love to see Russ whittling a bit of wood in the armor celebrity jungle. I wouldn't go the armor celebrity, but uh, I've been thinking a bit about uh, dancing on ice. I've only uh, ever tried, I've only ever tried ice skating once, and it didn't go well. Now, keep dancing on ice, guys. They're bringing Big Brother back as well, right? Probably I'm all top heavy, so the chances of stacking it are much greater. 
you to ask you about high school, look, huh? I mean, my, like, my, because of the year issues of it, my parents is a bit poor, but uh, thankfully I can, I can move a bit. So, so yeah, it shouldn't be too bad. When you, when you plan to dance in the eyes, right? Um, you can't, can you? It's all celebrities. But, Right, so do something to become a celebrity then. Start your, right, this is how what we do. Well, you start your Wood Whittling YouTube channel today, right? Um, uh, we're going to call it Wood Whittling with Ross. Like, it'd be like Bob Ross. It'd be like a meditation thing. Bob Ross did the painting, and, and you go, right, give, give us your audition, Ross, for Wood Whittling with Ross. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll start you off. Hi, guys. Welcome to Wood Whittling with Russ. And then you go. Go on. Hi, guys. Welcome to Wood Whittling with Russ. Today, we're Whittling an Arrow. <laughs> you need perfect. You need perfect. Um, arrowhead and a feather, but the... Yeah. I, I... Also, which specific kind of arrow are you making? Because depending on the tip, it does different stuff. I, 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 I think Arrow Whittling with Ross is a YouTube channel that's just going to fly. It needs a slogan. They never got off the ground. Uh, uh, why why didn't it ever get off the ground, Ross? I've got no, bad tablets, that's why. It needs a little slogan like, like, um, Learn how to wood carve with me, whittle by whittle. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Look, uh, learn how to carve by with me. See, that's why Charlotte's our resident wordsmith. I know exactly. She is. She is. So, so what we've got to do, right, Russ? Uh, so, Charlotte, while I'm doing kindness news and preparing the joke of the week, we need to give her three subjects from the absolute nonsense we've just spoken about. And it can't be Whittling, because that's... We've done, we've done Whittling. We've done Whittling. Whittling's done. Whittling's done. <laughs> We're done with Whittling. So, so um, here, here's, a, here's my subject. Arrows. We want an arrow joke. Or, yeah, right? Thank you, joke. jokes. Jokes about... Or a joke, a joke about video chats. So you, you've got three choices there. You can either have I an arrow joke. A, I bet there's some good video chat ones. A pottery joke, video chat joke. And before you start searching for jokes, do you want to do the jingle for kindness news? That's fine, I know. And this is motorcycle addiction. Two London students shared massive thanks to a stranger after he helped them out with the situation at the pharmacy. Um, the most uh, shared on Reddit, user Sisyphos wrote thank thanking a motorcyclist who paid for the morning after pill for the pair. The motorcyclist then told them to thank them in 10 years. The original <laughs> poster then explained they'd repay the favour by learning a lesson and passing it forward and doing it a small act of kindness to itself. They told the post... Thank you for the very kind man in queue who paid for my morning after pill. The couple appeared to be low on money when they went to purchase uh, the pill <laughs> from a private pharmacy in queue. Uh, the kindness of the stranger helped them out with the issue. A man in full motorbike gear generally... I, I want a man in full motorbike gear, including a dark-shadowed helmet, to come and help me. It feels like... A man in full motorbike gear generously handed over... 
the money to give them a hand. Uh, me and my girlfriend, so this is what I was post-read, me and my girlfriend needed um, this pill um, and uh, didn't realise how expensive it was. This man came along, helped us out and really made sure that uh, that we we could do what we needed to do. Um, uh, the post attracted 741 reactions, 66 comments, um, with, with some pointing out that emergency contraception, contraception is free on the NHS. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so it's a really good work in terms of in terms of having access to somebody who's really going to help you out. And then I want to talk kindness news festival edition because I didn't realise this, but apparently in Lowestoft, Raz, yeah. there's a festival of kindness that you yeah, found. Um, people in Lowestoft are people in Lowestoft were encouraged to spread the love. Another event of the Bank Holiday weekend, the first ever festival of kindness organised by Norfolk and Waverley Mind in collaboration with Lowestoft. You always said Norfolk was the best place in the world, didn't you? Yeah. Um, the Sparrows Nest Park played host to the event where people enjoyed a day of entertainment, live music, food and workshops. Peter Boxo, CEO at Norfolk and Waving in Mind, said, we were delighted to host our first ever Festival of Kindness in Lowestoft. It was a really fun build for the whole family. It was fantastic to see people come out for the festival. We'd like to say a massive thank you to Lowestoft Town Council, Sparrow's Nest, Art Eats, uh, and all the amazing event artists that can, can contribute to the success of the event. These acts of kindness are a reminder of the simple yet impactful ways we can make uh, a positive difference in each other's lives. Absolutely love that idea of celebrating, creating communities yeah. and cultures where we celebrate kindness. Um, and go on. Yeah, about Europe next year? Lower stuff's the place to be. It could be the place to be, and it's it? close to the best place in the world. Knowledge. Well, I mean, the real. <laughs> you're still trying to pitch this knowledge as the best city in the world, bros. I like your bitches. I ain't buying, honestly. Um, but um, I do like the idea of places that, um, in in a world that can be, in at times, so cynical. Um, uh, I love the idea of celebrating kindness. While I was away, I, I um, started rereading um, a a book, um, and I definitely recommend you give it a read um, called um, "Humankind." Um, and um, it's the interesting thing about the book is it starts off with a couple of stories and then says. Um, uh, I want to talk in this book about a bold philosophy, and one that we talk about quite a lot on the po podcast. Most people are generally pretty good. Um, and that shouldn't be a bold philosophy. That should be something that we all celebrate, because actually um, all of the evidence points to the fact that most of us are doing our best with what we've got. Yes, we're not perfect and we've all got challenges, but our doing things in the world that are broadly positive. Right, I, I can't admit, before we, 
before we started doing this and we started talking to people that are just doing random stuff that that you sort of don't think of, I was very cynical when I used to see it on the news and that. that yeah. People, people doing things for other people. It, it just seemed very cynical to me. And we told, I mean, the part of the challenge is the news, ultimately, the majority of what the news shares is all of the, the stuff that goes wrong. Now, yeah. I'd argue that the reason that, that the news share all the stuff that goes wrong is because that happens less often. And unfortunately, we are driven towards information designed to protect ourselves. It's a conservative bias, but that doesn't mean to say that most people are spending their no, lives no, doing no, no. stuff. I totally agree with that. I, I found over the sort of the period we've been doing this, and I look look at them sort of stories now in more in more of a well, that's a great thing to do, like than than I wonder what they're after, like and and and. It's interesting because like, as I've been sort of out and about talking about the book um, uh, and speaking at events and doing that stuff, often there's a bit of a disconnect, right? So people recognise that they do good stuff in their own lives. Um, and I think what tends to happen is the broader that circle gets, um, uh, and they recognise their friends and family are normally pretty good, but I think as humans, we struggle to recognise that most people are like that. But the wider that circle gets, um, the the more it feels that actually the world's a, a negative and cynical place. And, reality, yeah. and in reality, most of us are just trying our best with what we've got. Yeah. Um, it's it, 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 it's my perspective on the world. And that makes me feel better, us, even though it might not Going be true. Going back to people um, paying for some. I'm seeing a lot now on on our local groups where people are paying for people's food in places like Tesco. They've got part of the money, and yeah. they, there's stuff they can't afford. But instead of making them put it back, people are sort of stepping up and and paying for it. Yeah, I mean, look, when when it's tough, I think you've got to be grateful for yeah where you are, and that that's really important. Right, on that note, should we get on to the series? You spend for stick chat. Well, you know, you never do that as a kid, you just pick up a stick and start there. Yeah. Isn't it? Twirling. I wouldn't call it. where the stick came from. But it didn't matter what it was made of, you still stood and yeah. twirled it. But clear, a broom handle. I tried Whitley at one point as well. A Whitley? Oh, I'd love you to do Whitley. You know what? Genuinely. There was a guy I went to school with, and bear in mind that Rags and I went to school um, in East London, right? Rags, uh, so quite an urban area. Yeah. Um, there was a guy I went to school with who um, became this nature guy. So he moved out of London, um, and he then really got into wood carving. Now, how do I know all this? Number one, even though I'm not on it anymore, because he used to be on Facebook, um, a guy called um, Stephen Say, uh, I'll give him a shout because he's got a, a little business doing this, a guy called Stephen Say, and um, 
number two, we were at Camp Festival and he had a stand as film. So we were at a music festival a few oh, years fantastic. ago. This guy I went to Camp Festival. Yeah, so it was probably about 10 years ago. This guy I went to school with was now selling um, wooden goods that he'd carved. And some of it was really all night. Like, it was like, he'd done a really good job. Some so, of those, some yeah. what they can do with them uh, little chisels, them tiny little chisels, is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's art. It's, and, um, and stone carving. Yeah, so number number two, Russ, when, when I see you there, I'm going to get you a little puppet sock, sock get yeah. a little twig for your, for your puppet sock, and maybe you could whittle us something that we could share on our socials for the podcast. <laughs> what are you going to no. whittle? No, what are you going to whittle? I haven't been. I haven't done whittling in years. He doesn't whittle anymore. I'm quite sad about that. I just babbled. I haven't said a whittle. It's a little bit sad. It's a little bit sad. Um, uh, when's the last time you had a little whittle? Well, I just babbled there instead of whittling. What did you do? Dear babbling with you two. Babbling, babbling and whittling. You can babble and whittle at the same time, though. You can. Absolutely. You can have a babble and whittle. <laughs> <laughs> right, when was... No, I'm not cracking on. You When I wanted to move on, and you two said, <laughs> let's talk a bit more about the sticks. Did I, did I say no? When was the last time, Russ, you had a little will? <laughs> I was probably 15. He hasn't whittled for a long time, has he? No, no, a long time. Oh, I'm right, okay. Now, so... Yeah, I know, I know. You've, you've given up on whittling, Russ. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that makes me a little bit sad. On that note, let's move on to you've the... You've given up on a sort of What your commitment to whittling? <laughs> <laughs> when you did it, was it a big will or a little will? <laughs> what, what, what? Was, when you will... <laughs> <laughs> when, 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 when you will, was it a mini whittle, a little whittle, a mini whittle, or a big whittle? Um, I don't know why I'm doing the answer now. Let's move Russ and Charlotte's point into the show notes, which means we're that we're actually on next week's we, show notes. We so I'm on. We've got the amazing Jonathan Jenkins, who's the uh, CEO uh, of. London's Air Ambulance. Now, we've had the guys from Yorkshire Air Ambulance on before. Uh, we know that the Air Ambulances do amazing work, but we also know that um, actually um, they're not funded entirely by the NHS uh, and therefore um, rely on, on fundraising donations, stuff like that. Uh, but I just wanted to get Jonathan on and talk about the amazing work that London Air Ambulance does. Let's listen to part one of the interview. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you so much for joining us on the Kindness Project. Um, we're really excited about uh, talking about London Air Ambulance today. But let's start with the first uh, question. Tell us a little bit about you. About me, well, Chris, Charlotte, thanks ever so much for having me on. Um, uh, I really appreciate it. It's pretty much my first day back from holiday, where your book was one of my bits of reading. Uh, How did you so find it? it was it was really interesting, uh, and it, it was it was your journey, Chris. Because I know when we when we when we briefly met, we talked about it, but I hadn't really realised, you know, the synergies in terms of you know, I, I started life as a foreign exchange trader, and you know, 
as a result of watching Wall Street when I was 16 and hearing Gordon Gecko's greed as good speech as, as motivational rather than a cautionary tale. So I, I sort of I spent the first sort of 15, 20 years of my working life, you know, in in the square mile, um, you know, trying to drive value for my employers and myself, which was good fun. I enjoyed it. I'm certainly not going to belittle it. And I've got lots of good friends and contacts from that time. But with hindsight, it wasn't hugely fulfilling um, yeah. on a personal level. And, you know, perhaps the 22, 25 year old version of myself wasn't really that interested in that. But as, as I got older and sort of it's interesting how you changed over time, doesn't it? It does completely. And, yeah, you know, I remember I remember sort of going back to school talking about, you know, one of the quotes was the past is a foreign country. They do things, you know, they do things differently there. And, you know, I don't recognize myself back as the foreign exchange trader. You know, it's a different world. It was, it taught me a lot of things. Um, and it sort of taught me how to move money from A to B, which I then moved into the social investment world. So people investing for social benefit rather than pure profit. Yeah. And in there, I sort of got to work with quite a lot of charities. Um, and I just had the itch to get closer and closer to the purpose. Um, yeah. And through a number of bits of serendipity, um, the opportunity came up at London's Air Ambulance. Uh, and it, 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 it's, it's a weird one. It's um, the office is 50 yards away away from my father's old office uh the helicopter sits on the roof of the hospital that my dad was treated in there were so many there's so many just weird sort of bits of serendipity that when it came up the opportunity came up um i took it thankfully got through the process it will be the best job i ever have um uh it, it's just such an utter sort of privilege to be there and the, and 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 yeah i'm a great believer in fate I, I did sort of stumble into it it was yeah, it was a sort of a, a conversation with a friend of mine um, who used to be the CEO of London's Air Ambulance. I was, I was having a midlife crisis and doing an ultramarathon. Um, and I was chatting to him in a pub and said, well, I suppose I better raise money for a charity if I'm doing this. This is a bit extreme. Uh, and he said, well, what happens? I said, well, we're, we're running across the Sahara Desert. If it all goes wrong, you get airlifted out by helicopter. And he said, well, Jonathan, you know, what did London's air ambulance? There's sort of, yeah, there's a story there. Yeah, there's a, there's and, a connection there. And that's it? how I yeah. got to know and understand it and just be sort of privileged to actually understand what, what they do. So that that's how I sort of stumbled over a process of 20, 25 years into what, what I say, as you know, I said already, it would be the best job I will ever have in my life. What? I, I, suppose, I suppose the interesting thing for me, and, and again, I think there's always a bit of a period of realisation, isn't there, when you like, get a bit older, and I'm, I'm 46 now, and thinking about been thinking about this for the for the past um, five or six years, but since, since we started the podcast, but it's probably been a period of realisation that purpose matters. Um, yeah. What was that period of realisation from for you when did that start and when did you start to make change well i think it, it started from so i left the city in 2000 and um about 2007 8 and i and i i was volunteering at a time for a charity called young enterprise and sort of helping uh, helping people get into uh and to run their own businesses yeah. and and through that, the person who was my handler as a volunteer said, oh, why don't you, you know, I've been spat out by the city. I think it's probably the nicest way of putting it. I said, why don't you, why don't you use your talents in terms of fundraising for charities and social enterprises? Yeah. And I sort of thought, well, I'll do it for a bit until I get a proper job. 
I, I'll be yeah. brutally honest. I thought, you know, I didn't rush into it. I was uncomfortable in it. It was a it was a culture change um, from having gone from a you know the floor trading floor of a merchant bank yeah. into a small third sector organization. And I'm sort of fairly ashamed to say I, I, I found I found it uncomfortable. It was a different language. Um, uh, I was slightly sort of embarrassed about sort of talking about my peers who were like, you know, what on earth are you doing? You're going to work for a charity. Um, and it was probably a good six months for me to actually get comfortable and realize the opportunity that had actually fallen my way. Yeah. Um, so it was a real adjustment. But actually, what I think the benefit of it now is that I can speak third sector. I can also speak, you know, square mile. Yeah, you've uh, had so, both those conversations. And I'd imagine, yeah. that's, I'd, I'd imagine that's useful in terms of fundraising and in terms of having conversations with with commercial enterprises that want to support under their ambulance, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think if I'm talking to major donors, um, it gives me the ability to actually, you know, especially if they, they've made their money in the city, it gives me the ability to to talk to them sort of credibly and understanding, yeah. you know, their day jobs. Um, from a corporate point of view, obviously I've worked in some big corporates, so I I, I understand the, the corporate thing as well. But yeah, the, yeah. the the most important thing about London's Air Ambulance is that yeah, we're commissioned by the people that we serve. We're only here by the kindness or the generosity of an awful lot of people giving us um sort of ten pounds a month, but there's 120,000 of them. Um so it's not all about the big numbers for our day to day business. We're, we're, yeah, as I say, we're commissioned by the people we serve. Supported. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah, day, yeah. and the day that I can't sit down uh, and thank the WI for their latest uh, bake sale yeah. and the twenty five yeah. quid that that raised is the day that I should not be chief yeah. executive of London Ambulance yeah. because that's that's yeah, it's those. Yeah, we only do what we do because of the cumulative efforts of all those communities. Uh, doing yeah. lots and lots and lots of things across the capital. So share share with me a little bit about London Air Ambulance. Then assume that I don't know, and I've done my I've done my research, Jonathan. I understand what you guys do, but for the purposes of our audience, which is a little bit more spread out, um, help help uh, help us understand a little bit more about what you guys do. Well, no, I, well, th and thanks for the opportunity. I'll probably actually. What I'll probably do is try and tackle some of the misconceptions about who we are and what we do, because that, that's just as important. So it so we're London's air ambulance, and I'm I'm not known for my um pedantry on punctuation, but I am on the apostrophe S yes, on the end of London's air ambulance, because we are owned by the people of London. We serve yeah. the people of London. Yeah. Um, which means that we're not part of the state. A lot of people are really surprised um that we're a charity, but we are. We we work incredibly closely and have done for our 35 years of existence with the fantastic London Ambulance Service uh, and also uh, Bart's Health. And we sit on the top of um, the Royal London Hospital, which is part of Bart's. So we work very much in partnership, but we ourselves are, are a charity. Um, and I think that's the thing that surprises most people. So we've been going 35 years. We're the second oldest uh, air ambulance in the UK. Uh, we're two weeks behind Cornwall, I think it was, who, okay. uh, who beat us to it, and we're not bitter. Uh, good luck to them. They're a fantastic <laughs> service. Um, it's, not, it's not something you can change, though, is it? No. There's all times where you can do the, the about. No, it's not. And, right. and, and the structures, are, you know, we're all, it's quite collegiate. So, there, you know, there are 21 air ambulances uh, across the UK, and we are, you know, predominantly um, uh, structured as charities. And um, we don't compete. Because we're, you know, we're we're looking after our our own particular demographic of people. And we have different services, so we work very collegially. So, uh, and the folks, I love the folks what's in there. Uh, I'd imagine London Air Ambulance is the biggest in terms of the amount of people you help, though, right? 
Uh, I would say probably in terms of the people that we cover, and we, we, yeah. you know, different amateurs have different challenges. So if you imagine in London, we're not going to struggle with someone caught, you know, someone who's broken an ankle. Yeah, exactly. Or fallen off a horse in the middle of a field far away from a major yeah. junction. Whereas in Cornwall or Essex and Hearts or, you know, pretty much anywhere other than London, um, yeah, you may have that as a challenge. So we've adapted our service according to the you know the people that need us, which is pretty much the 10 million people who live, work, and play inside the M25 is a sort of rough guide to to who we cover. Is there, so we other adaptations you need to make, though, Jonathan. So is there other adaptations you need to make around getting around London by air? Yeah. Of the, yeah. I, well, I think it's. I, I think if you if you compare us to the other amateurs, we do really really different things. So again, mm. sort of talking about who we are, what we do. So London, so it's anywhere within the M25. Um, air, we do about fifty percent of our work by air, um, but we do fifty percent of our work using fast response cars. An ambulance, right. an ambulance is the one that um, catches people because most people seem to assume that we we you know we fly or drive to people at their moment of need, scoop them up and take them to the hospital. But that's n- that's not what we do at all. Our entire job or race and detra is to take the medical team to the people when they need us by the side of the road because they haven't got time for the sort of injuries that we go to. They haven't got the time to get to the hospital. So it's actually trying to bring the hospital and the sort of hospital-grade interventions to someone who's under a train, in a car, you know, down an alleyway, you know, in the rain. So how can you provide that degree of excellence life-saving care in environments that don't necessarily lend themselves to it in a fairly unpredictable manner so you know whereas if you're in other areas you might know that you've got a lot more about actually it may be more about how you transfer the patient and take them close to the hospital yeah that's not so much the issue we have here so they will have a yeah, if you look at someone like Ken Cyrus Sussex, I know they're practicing how much interventions they can do in the back of the aircraft because they know they have a 20 minute flight. Our average flight time is six minutes. And not many people actually go in, back in, go in the back of the aircraft um, because yeah. actually yeah. it's easier for us to transport people by ambulance. So it's, I would say it's horses for courses, but London is really unique in so much that our entire patch is urban. And yeah. we have a lot of people who come to us for experience. Um, because sadly, the you know the volume of what we see is high, uh, the acuity of what we see is is really high. So we have a lot of international folks coming over to London to experience what we do and take the learnings back. And obviously, we learn from them as well. Do we? Do, does that impact who you need on crew? So if you're if you're sort of going out to pretty urgent sort of stuff that needs yeah. care on the ground, does that change? You know, if 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 I compared it, for example, to the guys at Yorkshire at air ambulance who we interviewed on a previous podcast yeah does that mean that the crews are different no no not especially not especially and and i think so for us um we have two pilots you know in the in the front of the aircraft we don't have uh, a pilot who's a paramedic or a navigator we have two fully blown pilots um because you're flying across possibly the most congested airspace in europe yeah, yeah, yeah um so we have we have two folks up up, up the front which uh, enables us to sort of counter any situation that we find in uh, in the back of the aircraft you'll have three clinicians typically which will be a very senior um consultant um uh, you'll have a registrar uh, who's another senior doctor and we'll have one of london's finest paramedics who will be seconded yep. to us by the London Ambulance Service. So in that aircraft, 
you will have decades of emergency care experience it's um for many it's seen as the pinnacle of working in pre-hospital care um and sort of many people take a lot of time to to get to work with us on common and we're incredibly grateful that they do but it's you know as much as much as i would never want to see someone in orange standing over my child because of the incident that would have happened to have them there there is I would I would take the confidence that the no care standing up. No, yeah. it's world class. It, and yeah. if they give them and me the best possible hope of a positive outcome that I could possibly imagine, and that's our job. I mean, our, our job is, yeah, we can talk about saving lives. We can, um, which we try to do, but we're only part of the whole survival process with a wider HS, NHS. We just want to give people hope that we can give them the best possible outcome that we can in their darkest times. Lovely. Great. Thank you for that. Charlotte? We know that uh, at the moment you're in a in a bit of a rush to replace your, uh, I was going to say air vessels, but that sounds a bit, <laughs> a bit more <laughs> fancy. Air name. vessels? <laughs> Helicopters. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Of course I can. So, um, so yeah. We've our, our aircraft, which have served us very, very well over over many years, are coming to the end of their uh, comes in at that time. Uh, they're perfectly safe. They're perfectly safe to fly, as you would expect. But the trouble is, they're they're older aircraft. They're not made anymore. Um, they're getting harder and harder to service and get parts for. So it's a bit like an old car. Um, you know, when it goes in for goes in for its annual maintenance, you're waiting on bits and pieces to be delivered before you can take it back into service. And for us, the real impact of that is. Yeah, is is making sure that we have the fleet of available for for patient care whenever we need it. Um, and apologies once more for my beloved in the background. So, so we're in a, we've signed a deal to buy two new aircraft. Uh, they turn up in July 2024, uh, and the cost of two new aircraft is 15 million pounds. So, on top of the 10 million pounds that we raise every each and every year. Uh, to keep us flying uh, and serving the people of London, we've had to find an additional fifteen million pounds uh, over. It's been a, over a period of about eighteen months, two years, um, to get the two new aircraft in and running and operation. That going, it's it's going right. I mean, we're right we're right in the middle of it, Chris. If I'm honest with you, um, we are we're halfway through, and we're probably halfway through in terms of commitments. Um, but it's that it's that sharp end of the appeal. Um, so we've got from now to July to convert all the goodwill that we've had, all the conversations that we've had are real getting to the crunch time. So it's, I suppose it's a bit like in city terms, when you're doing a fundraising, it all comes together at the end. You can plan for yeah. it, plan for it. But now it's a now it's it's the time of sitting. nervous period at the end though, isn't it? It is, is, absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, it's the sitting down and actually saying that we've talked about this a lot. Is it a yes? Is it a no? Um, yeah. And we... I'd imagine, though, Jonathan, I mean, and, and it's interesting because there's some charities where the work they do has a really direct impact to communities. And I'd imagine London Air Ambulance is like that. Have you got advocates on the ground that have like actually had like their families' lives have been saved? Yeah, you know? we we do. So, you know, there, there's a number of people. You'd be surprised, actually, when you speak to people, how many people have been have uh, been touched by air ambulances whether it's us or whether it's our colleagues out in the counties uh and whilst we're incredibly grateful for all the advocacy that they do the one thing that we're very careful of with um with our patients is that our patients didn't ask you know they didn't ask to be yeah. subject to whatever happened to them 
um, they don't owe us anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we, if you talk to the clinical teams, they're very, very clear that they just see themselves as doing their jobs. They don't see themselves as heroes jumping out of helicopters. They don't see themselves in any way heroic, whereas the vast majority of the rest of us do, because what they do is something yeah. that we can't imagine them doing it. So we do we do enjoy the benefit of patients uh, and their families um, raising money for us directly, speaking on behalf of what we do. But we 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 work very carefully uh, to make sure because you know if you if if we're asking someone to. Uh, relive an experience we're asking them to possibly relive the worst day of their lives and to do that yeah. on a continued basis and fair and it might be helpful sort of it might be even cathartic as part of the the healing process but it's something that we hope that they they work you need through to be sensitive um, about that, absolutely that yeah. absolutely because i mean we are here for the patients that's the it's the number one you know it's the number one important you know they are the the sole beneficiaries of what we do and they are the reason that we all get out of bed in the morning and go and work for the service so um, so yeah, but in terms of community, we have beyond patients and their families. We have it's the communities that support us. I mean, whether it's yeah, you know, whether it's the Freemasons, whether it's the Pearly Kings and Queens, whether it's yeah, a gazillion schools that we we go and visit, and everybody sees that red helicopter going over. And I always encourage people whenever they see that helicopter to have a sense of pride because that's only there because the people standing there staring up, looking at it, make it happen. Well, I suppose the big thing is you never know when you're going to be the recipient. No, yeah. no, no, you don't. You've never used it. You want it there to make sure that. And, that, and that's what I was sort of curious about, because um, while I was doing the research for the interview, I was having a sort of look around the website and I came across the mission map, which is yeah. I recommend people have a look at, actually, because uh, I'm a bit of a data geek, Jonathan. So I get to like, I get to into this, but it's fascinating in terms of the historical you know the number of times and and each and each borough so that was part one that was good wasn't it yeah part two is on next week <laughs> on that note is the end of another podcast the end but the end is never truly the end because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new and what's that new thing well you gave me three uh, topics to get jokes about, and you said oh, pick one. Two, I, I, I was pretty achieved, I got all three. Oh, <laughs> three jokes for the end of the show. Is it all three jokes? All three topics combined into one joke? No, it's one joke for each topic. Oh, right, where do you start? We'll start at the top. Arrows. How can you tell if an arrow is nervous? I it don't know. It quivers. It quivers! It quivers, Russ! What do you call a knight obsessed with pottery? I don't know. Ceramic. Ceramic. Ceramic, Russ, ceramic. Uh. And then... Uh, my video call joke. Uh, um, my son video called me the other day. He turned around to me and said, couldn't you have given me a better name than video? I love that note. That's the end of another show. We'll see you on the Kindness Project soon. Bye.